name is Roma and this is Zimlov, a podcast about Zimbabwe and about a feeling that I try to describe through the stories and perspectives of others. Once you type Zimbabwe into the internet, all you find is hyperinflation or expensive safaris. But there's a specific feeling to this place. And I want to show you through the stories and the ads of others that after all everyone has been through and is going through, there's still a feeling that is true Zim love. Before we get to the next episode, I just wanted to add something personal about myself because I had some questions concerning my own background. So I've lived in Zimbabwe for three years and I'm German. I worked as a lecturer at the university. That's why I'm always talking about my students. So this is a bit about myself. And yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. So I think a lot of people would love to go back to Zimbabwe and I would go back uh, if you know, the conditions were right. And I think there's a lot that I'm learning here, which I could take back home and also be able to, you know, contribute. And if, if it applies to Zimbabwe, then also, you know, be able to do my part. This episode is with Taffy. Taffy wrote me on Facebook after he has listened to the second episode with Cleopatra about being a Murora and Lobola. And he made such a nice comment that he even learned something about his own country and that he enjoyed listening to the episodes. And since I've always wanted to make an interview with a Zimbabwean living outside of Zim, I thought, okay, now maybe there's a chance and let's talk with him. And he's been living in Munich for a couple of years. And uh, he has studied in Finland before, he has studied in South Africa before, so living abroad already for quite some time. And I'm excited to hear what he's going to tell us. Oh, yes. So for my undergraduate in South Africa, I studied law. Um, and then when I moved to Hanover, my master's was actually in IT law uh, and intellectual property law. Um, so at the moment, I work as an internal legal advisor for IT law topics, so for things such as, you know, uh, data shoots or data privacy. And um, I also give, you know, um, advice on other legal things, but predominantly about data privacy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As Germans, we take data privacy very seriously. Oh, yes. So, yeah. So, ich bin ein, ich bin ein data shoots beauftragt. Oh, yeah, you're one of those. I see. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, you, uh, you know, with my students, I did a little trip to Germany in 2018. And I remember they were asking my colleague, you know, when you go to Germany as a Zimbabwean, as someone who looks different, how will it be like? How will the people react to us? Um, they've never left the continent and they didn't want to ask me so they asked my colleagues who have already been to Germany and they were looking for some advice they were very in, insecure about how it's going to be like can you tell me what it was for you to live here to arrive here um, yes well actually I think for me what helped was it wasn't my first time living in Zimbabwe I had been to the States before I've been to the UK before um, so I really wasn't worried about that aspect But one thing I would definitely say which stands out is the language barrier. So, for example, when I landed at Frankfurt International Airport, 
obviously I had to speak, um, you know, very slowly because the person, their English wasn't that good as well. So it, it, that's the first thing that hits you. Even the signs, uh, not everything is going to be in English. So someone now you have to figure out, okay, you know, what does this door sign say or this, you know, shield say? So I think that's the first thing that hits you. Um, I don't necessarily think people look at you because there's a lot of black people here in Germany, uh, not as many as in the UK, for example, but it's not the first thing that people would, you know, notice about you. Um, so I didn't feel that, but I think the language barrier, that was always the first thing that hit you like, okay, wow, I'm in a place for the first time in my life where other people can't communicate with me and somehow we have to make it work, you know? So yeah, I mean, it, for me, it was really an interesting experience because I, I learned a lot about body language. Um, because for instance, when you can't use what you're used to, which is basically the oral, you know, words, you start to, before you even approach a person, you have to really decide, okay, out of this whole crowd of strangers, who am I going to go and ask for help or for directions? And then you look at body language. So there's some people who just look up at you and smile or people who look up at you and they look at you in a weird way or strange way. So obviously you start to look at those things that previously you didn't look at. And I think I learned a lot about body language. Um, and most of the times, I think 90% of all the people I approached, they were friendly and nice and understanding. So I think that was the one thing I learned about that body language can actually be an indication to say, okay, fine, this person would be, you know, willing to assist me. So, yeah. But I wouldn't necessarily say for anyone who's supposed to come from Zimbabwe to Germany that, you know, being black or being from Zimbabwe is going to stand out. You actually might be shocked at the number of other, you know, African people that you will see. So I think, yeah, it's, it's changed. Yeah. Um, meeting other Africans or even other Zimbabweans, is there something like a Zimbabwean community in Germany? Yeah, I would say so. Um, um, <clears throat> when I came in 2012, I think it was uh, it was difficult to actually realize or get a feeling of how many Zimbabweans there are in Germany because I think at the time, you know, social media was not as you know big as it is today. So it wasn't really a big community, or we were a community, but we were not you know connected. Um, but today, it's really, really, really changed. Um, so there's so many spaces on social media where these Zimbabweans are. Uh, connecting the past couple of years that there's been an influx of a lot of um, young uh, Zimbabweans who come here as au pairs. Um, so that really has increased the numbers of Zimbabweans in Germany. And I, I think we are, I would say in terms of connecting and being there for each other, I think it's happening, but there could be a lot more that can be done definitely. Um, especially when you look at the, the age of the Zimbabweans that come here, you know, they're very young um, majority of them are females so already to a certain extent that sort of puts them in the vulnerable group because you know the way we're raised up in Zimbabwe I mean even it's 20 21 you still have someone to hold your hand you still have parents um, you still have guidance there's always someone there, uh, to help you with everything and when you come to Germany at that uh, you know at such an age you don't have those things so you're sort of thrown into the deep end and all of a sudden you have to swim you know And so I think it's very difficult for a lot of them, and they go through a lot. Um, I mean, from the ones that I've spoken to, it's, it's not always a rosy, simple process. So I think with these moments connecting and knowing more about each other and actually talking, I think that could help uh, because I think the connecting should go beyond just social media. It should actually, you know, go to some sort of, you know, support network that people who come new and old can always, you know, rely on. So 
Okay, so Zimbabweans with other Africans. I think there's this thing where um, what I've noticed from my own experience is I think Zimbabweans easily get along with other Africans from the Southern African region. I think it just comes with things such as, you know, their culture is not too different from us. Um, I think a very long time ago, we were one people. But then when you meet other Africans from other regions, um, I think it's a learning curve. One of the things that I really learned is um, we may be Africans, but we're totally different uh, in the way we think, uh, our perceptions to certain things. And this can be, you know, attributed to the history. So, for example, you find some people, they were, you know, colonized by French, by the French. And um, so they have a different way of thinking. They also are Muslim. And I come from a Christian background. So already those things, you know, they start to come up and it's things you never thought of before. Um, but it doesn't mean that we have these differences so it makes us, you know, not get along. It just means, okay, you are who you are and I, I am who I am. But yeah, we're still Africans at the end of the day. So yeah, those, those will be the experiences I'd say I've had with other Africans. Do you think there may be other challenges that people back home might be naive about or challenges they don't see? Uh, yeah, um, I think it's, it's, it's no secret that definitely people in Zimbabwe are going through uh, you know, a myriad of problems. There's a lot of problems that Zimbabweans back home are going through. Um, but that doesn't mean that you know, the Zimbabweans here are not also going through a lot of problems. Uh, it's just maybe different type or nature of problems. So, for example, there's varying forms of, you know, forms and degrees of discrimination that you go through here, um, be it in the workplace. Um, they're just certain jobs which uh, no one will blatantly say it, but they are not meant for foreigners. And all, a lot of landlords uh, would prefer to, you know, have a tenant who's a local person and not a foreigner. Uh, for me to get an apartment, there were instances where I went to an interview for an apartment and there were 50 people. And, you know, 30% or, you know, were foreigners, but we all knew that, okay, the chances of us getting this apartment were very slim. And there's also some people who face like blatant racism where people would say certain things in their face, which, you know, um, is racist. Uh, and f fortunately for me, I haven't gone through that, but I've heard stories of people from other nationalities who've gone through that. So I think those are some of the problems that people go through. And loneliness. Um, you know, when you come here, you know, in Zimbabwe, we take it for granted our social, you know, our social network in, in the sense of, you know, how easy it is to talk to people, have people to interact with. Uh, when you come here, it's, it's not so simple. Um, German life is very structured. Uh, it's very demanding. So you have to be at the office at a certain time. You have to work. Then time for your, or your free time, as we'd call it, is limited. So when Germans decide what to do in the free time, they really think about it. Um, and also, it's not like they can be free anytime. So um, it leads to a lot of, you know, foreigners actually being lonely, uh, Some for some people even leading to depression, uh, because there's no one to talk to, or at least if you have people to talk to, uh, they don't understand exactly what you're going through. So I think that really is really like a culture shock for many people when they come here. Because, for example, I have friends who we have to make appointments to see each other. And that's something I never had to do before. Um, so it is what it is. But yeah, a lot of people go through that. Um, another one would be unemployment. I think um, people have the perception that when you come to Europe, you know, there's a lot of jobs. You're definitely going to find a job as soon as, you know, you get your things in order. But it's not so simple um, because, you know, the German market, especially the labor market, it's very qualified. So you coming in saying, oh, look, I have a master's or I have this, you're probably going to be, you know, 50% of everybody applying for the job has the same qualifications uh, with you, if not better. So for you to stand out, that becomes really difficult. So 
I think that's the one perception where people should really understand that um, it's, it's not going to be an easy walk in terms of getting a job. Uh, so unemployment is a big thing for foreigners where they are very qualified back home and also here, but um, it's very difficult to then get the job. Um, and also, I think the last point would be you know financial demands because Germany is expensive um, um, in the sense that as a foreigner, you know, you don't necessarily qualify for, um, you know, how to put it, you don't necessarily qualify for government support immediately. Uh, and you should not come here thinking that's going to happen. Uh, so there's a lot of foreigners who I know, they have to meet their own financial needs. So meaning they work a lot to pay their bills. And then they also have financial demands from back home. So meaning now you have to balance the two. You know, I need to send money back home to support the people. And I also need money for myself. So I think a lot of people are strained. Um, they're tired. But yeah, there's no option. Eh? They, they have to continue pushing through. So uh, those are problems that I think uh, you can imagine when you have a phone call with someone from back home, they will tell you their problems. And I think to a certain extent, you have this inner guilt that, okay, I'm here in Germany. Should I actually now start complaining about what I'm going through? And then we you know you bottle a lot of people bottle it up and keep it in, in, inside, you know, and they don't share that. So I think, yeah, a lot of people are probably suffering and saying, look, um, it's, it's a sacrifice for all those uh, people who I support and who need me. So I just have to go through it, I think. So you you cannot really share your problems with your peers or family back home. I, I think you can, but th th there's a helplessness in that because when you tell them what you're going through, one they don't totally understand the process and the system and how it works, and the solutions that they would give you are solutions in relation to how they would do it in, in back home in Zimbabwe. So, um, for example, if you tell someone back home that I'm being discriminated at work. I think in Zimbabwe, it's very hard to be discriminated against because, you know, there's a different approach to, you know, where, where the black people are the majority in Zimbabwe. So someone would be like, wow, okay, stand up for yourself or something like that. Or, or why didn't you say something? And um, it's, it's not that simple uh, because in some, some places you are discriminated and you don't even have a voice or a platform to speak up or to say anything. And it's not always like it's blatant, uh, you know, discrimination that you can put a finger to it and actually say, look, this is it. It's sometimes very subtle and um, you can't really, you know, explain it. Uh, and so, you know, people back home, there's a helplessness because if you tell them, they sympathize with you and that's where it ends, you know. When I um, think about you, you were talking about people, you know, coming here, being young and then having to change their mindset to being very independent and it's like yeah they're supporting a family at a very early age and then in the uk there are um there's the diaspora already growing there for so many years so i'm sure there are zimbabweans being gone from zimbabwe for a very long time or zimbabweans who left when they were a child or that were born even abroad so there must be at some point a cultural difference growing do you think um, this is what's happening and then how does it affect you when you go home um to answer this question i'll actually use the example of my young sister so my young sister left zimbabwe when she was i think roughly seven years old um and she moved to the uk and so for m the majority of her life she's been in the uk she speaks shona so which is good Uh, my parents have tried to raise her with still, you know, some of the fundamentals about, you know, uh, ways of life. 
um, you know, the respect, the culture, all those things that come with just being Zimbabwean. And she's adopted them. She's embraced them. You know, she's not someone who's fought them. But what she's done uh, is actually become, you know, a coin two sides. So I'll give an example. When she's predominantly with my parents, my family, and, you know, Zimbabweans around and relatives, she will act Zimbabwean. She will conform to the Zimbabwean ways and, you know, things that we do. But when she's with our British friends, uh, even the way she speaks, even the way she conducts herself, it totally changes so much that, you know, uh, you would think it's two different people. And, uh, I, of course, it's not like she does it from one minute black and then the next minute she's white. You know, it's, it's not like that. There are some gray zones, for example, when when I grew up, you could not confront your father. Um, if, if you wanted to confront your father, you had to do it in a certain way, which was considered respectful and the right way to do it culturally. Um, but my sister, because of the UK upbringing she's had, she confronts my dad straight on, you know. She doesn't, you know, filter it. And I think for my parents, they've also had to adapt because previously when they were in Zimbabwe, they would not tolerate that if a child would speak to them in that way. But because they're in the UK, they've had to, you know, accept that, okay, fine, we've raised up our daughter in this society and this is how kids here talk to their parents. Um, so there's pros and cons. So the, the pros are that I don't want to say when I don't think Zimbabwean culture is, you know, the best culture in the world. There's some things I think in my culture I'm always questioning, and I think we need to question as Zimbabweans ourselves to say, okay, is this still relevant? And, and ask ourselves why. I think when you always ask yourself, why do we do this? What's the benefit? Is it helpful? It may have been helpful hundreds of years ago, but not today. So I think when we always ask ourselves that question as to why do we do this, um, we, we find value and we then can continue doing it. So, so the pros in my sister's situation is, um, she has confronted some of those cultural norms that we had and we were practicing in our family. Um, and she's, you know, crashed them out. So, for example, why shouldn't a child speak to her, her, her father? Or at least, you know, why shouldn't certain topics be addressed? Because we are family, right? And she's that person who made our whole entire family say, okay, fine, we should have, uh, you know, a, a good chain of communication regardless of the topic. So, I can now talk to my dad about things that I never thought I'd be able to talk to or even question, um, thanks to my sister, because for her, it was just the normal way of doing things. So there are some good things that I think as Zimbabweans, we still should hold on to. And there's some things I think where we, sh where we can, we should really question and, you know, change. So, and I think my sister is a true example of that, that you can have the best of both worlds. Uh, there's also some, there's also some negatives to that because when she, for example, she goes back to Zimbabwe, um, there are some certain expectations which are placed on the girl child uh, in certain ways a woman should conduct herself, certain things a woman should say, not say, or for example, you know, just behave. And um, she struggles with that. And um, so in certain instances, they're not necessarily bad things, or I would not say they're not things where if you, because I don't want to go into that line where, okay, why should a girl do this and a boy do that, you know? But <clears throat> it's, it's um, for example, when she goes to see my grandmother, um, she doesn't then live up to the expectations of my grandmother's uh, definition of, you know, a proper woman. That unfortunately for her, you know, is, is something that then troubles her because she's like, I want to prove to my granny that um, I am also a worthy woman in my standing. So I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, there's, there's, there's two sides to every side, but, um, but I can imagine that for many Zimbabwean kids born in the diaspora, they have, you know, these very conservative Zimbabwean parents who have all these beliefs 
and then they have to live up to those expectations and then they also want to be you know um, be reflective of the co community that they grow up in and be either british or german in, in the way they speak and behave and they have to balance both of these worlds and um Yeah, I mean, the future for, for, for some of us, for example, I grew up in the Zimbabwean uh, culture back home, um, is how do I stay Zimbabwean and not lose my Zimbabweanness when I'm abroad? So mm, That must be hard. I mean, also an example of your sister, that must be hard because always a little bit of a difference, even when you just go back home and you speak with your parents, maybe a different language or eat different food. So I can imagine that it must be hard to balance those two or define your own identity. Yeah, because you're faced with this question where when you go to Zimbabwe, you're, you're not Zimbabwean enough. <laughs> And then when you're here, you're either not German enough or you're not British enough. So then the question is like, so what am I? Because uh, when I'm in Zimbabwe, I'm not exactly true Zimbabwe. And when I'm here, I'm not exactly German, but I was born here in Germany. So I think these kids are sort of like in between. But I think they should just see that as an as an as an as a good thing because um, the way the world is going and the way the world will be is it's just not so. I think sometimes we place too much value on identity um, because identity should be fluid. You know, um, just because I was born Zimbabwean or I was born in Zimbabwe doesn't necessarily mean that should define me for the rest of my life. You know, uh, so I think. I'd love to say my sister is a citizen of the world. Um, she can be anything she wants to be. And could you imagine yourself ever going back to Zim? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I think uh, that's just going to be one of the positives <clears throat> that comes out from this whole diaspora thing where uh, I can imagine a Zimbabwe where everything goes back to how it, sh it must be and should be. So whereas Marble, where we you know we don't go through you know water cuts, everybody has you know basic health, a service, you know a, a well-run government. There's opportunities for business, and you know all those things that Zimbabweans want for themselves. Um, I think if the country goes back to that, the advantage of that is that you will have an influx of all these um, Zimbabweans who left, who went to the diaspora, and you can imagine that when you have all these Zimbabweans who left and went to the diaspora. Um, they obviously, I hope, most of them, just you know, talking from the people I know, a lot of them got a lot of education. And uh, an education doesn't necessarily mean studied. Some of them also got an education in terms of how our countries run, how do things work. So imagine all these people coming back with all these varying um, you know, uh, experiences that, have, that, that they've had in the diaspora, and they bring back all this to Zimbabwe. Um, I think that would help Zimbabwe because you have people who probably, you know, For example, a very good example I give my friends is if I would go back to Zimbabwe and I would have a politician stand in front of me and then he would tell me, I'm going to build you a road. My level of quality and my definition of road has changed. So when he builds me a road, I'm really looking for the best because I've seen the best. And, and I think that would just push the whole, high, the, the whole expectation of the country to a higher level. And I think there is a lot of Zimbabweans who want to go back because um, there's something in Zimbabwe that you can't get anywhere else. Um, I always say for me, when people ask me what's the best thing about Zimbabwe, I mean, I don't talk about the Victoria Falls and all that. I say it's the people. So um, there's just something that you can't put a finger to it. But yeah, so I think a lot of people would love to go back to Zimbabwe. And I would go back uh, if you know, the conditions were right. And I think there's a lot that I'm learning here, which I could take back home and also be able to, you know, 
contribute. And if, if it applies to Zimbabwe, then also, you know, be able to do my part. Um, so, yeah, I think in short, I would go back. Yeah, yeah, you you still have the Zim love in you. <laughs> There's something yes, yes. about this place. And um, talking about um, the people there and what's special about Zimbabwe, I always ask the people I interview if there's a story or a saying in the local language or a proverb, a song. Um, I'll probably say like um, Sean is saying that um, I think uh, I, I find really, really helpful. So it's uh, um, it just basically means if you rush through things, uh, you may end up doing them wrong. And that's, you know, even take longer than you'd Uh, than you would have taken if you'd done it right the first time. So it just basically means respect the process. Um, I think sometimes, you know, we, we are a generation, we want to rush things, we need results. Um, when things are slow, we, you know, try find shortcuts to things. I think, um, yeah, we need to respect the process. Uh, it's not easy, um, but I think when you do things right, most of the chances it's going to turn out okay. Um, so yeah, I, th I think that would be something that I'll probably say. Like that's a saying that I, I don't always abide to, but I try to. You know. Um, that being said, I would never lose. I'd always say the beauty of being Zimbabwean is that uh, Zimbabweans can still work hard and have a good time. And I think that's something that we should never lose as Zimbabweans. Um, you know, we value our 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 happiness, and I think that's it's. it's Because, for example, when I work here, sometimes when we're working, it can be a gloomy environment. So not everybody's smiling because it's time for work. But I think you could do both. You could have, you could work very hard and still play very hard. And um, so I think that's something that as Zimbabweans, I think we should never lose. We are, I think, a happy people by nature. It's just, um, yeah. Mm. That's also an experience I'm. Uh, I made at the office that uh, uh, something happened sad or it's bad or people are having problems. But then you sit in your office and you hear in the next office laughter because someone came in and they were telling a joke and telling something and then you can join and people are still laughing. They're taking this little time to have this positive outcome. And this is something I also really, really enjoyed something yeah i can learn from and i did learn from for sure is there something you experienced um, like a story like a typical story you would think of all oh, that something that happened that catches a bit zimbabwean spirit or it catches some zim love um i would probably just reference to something zimbabwean which uh, i still hold till today so for example um Like I said previously, I, I grew up in a high density, and the one I grew up in was called Budiriro. And um, the, there's just something there that I'm just so grateful that I went through because when I grew up, I could not call my neighbor by her name, like for example, Mrs. Mrs. Mutasa or something, because uh, she called me son. So all my neighbors called me their son. So you had this, you know, innate family. Uh, or at least community bond that was just there. And um, I had many parents, if I would call it that. And you know how people always say like, it takes a village to raise up a child. Literally, that's what happened. The difference was that it wasn't a village. It was an urban, you know, an urban uh, place, but everybody had this whole sort of, you know, community feeling and uh, way of life. So much that it was not, um, it was very common that someone would call me son and I would say mother to her, yet she's not my own mom. and 
it, it gave me a sense of freedom because as a child, you know, your parents would not worry too much about where you're going, um, you know, what time is it? Because if you just said, well, I'm going to play, they didn't ask, you know, many questions. So I had freedom to interact with other kids. I had freedom to go into other people's houses and, and, and see what they do, learn from what they do and go back home. And, you know, so there's just so many experiences, rich experiences, which I don't think two parents could have taught me alone. So that sense of upbringing just was, you know, it's, it's, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's really amazing. And it's something that I've always looked for, you know, like wherever, you, you know, you go, you always say, well, I want people, well, I like environments like that where people take responsibility of, of, um, of other people's, um, you know, loved ones. I also had this nice experience in Zimbabwe. So I lived on campus and uh, the first podcast episode is also with my neighbor, John the Tonga lecturer. So I was living in amongst other lecturers. There was also a strong bond. Like there were always some lookout for each other, for each other's garden or maybe exchange of food or maybe just having a chat. And me being, me being a foreigner in Zim, I experienced that uh, that was very good for me. That uh, gave me a lot of stability on a, on a subtle level. And my mom would always say, uh, you know, you should help someone. Uh, like when you see someone's mother in need, help that mother. Because tomorrow I'm going to be that mother that needs help from another person's son. So if you don't help, and they're probably going to be like, why should I help other people? So my goodness in helping other people is only going to come back to my own mother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought about um, the laughing thing. As when I say "dinoda uh, kurira," is that right? Well, kurira is 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 um, uh, make a sound. So I think probably that could have been slang, and we were saying, <laughs> saying, you know, you know. Yeah, that's how I roll. That's how I roll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, so, Taffy, thank you so much for this wonderful interview. That was very nice. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And yeah, I hope you have many more experiences and you keep going to the moment. I will. Thank you.